Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, more on the hate protests that continue on Hamilton City Hall forecourt. The protests continue in Hong Kong. Is it just a matter of time before they are China? Would you be interested in a pill to help your loneliness? Is that the answer? And we introduce you to the town of Dildo, Newfoundland. That's if Jimmy Kimmel hasn't already done it. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, we've all talked at length, as I mentioned, in regard to uh, the protests that have been going on for several weeks in in, uh, downtown Hamilton City Hall's forecourt. Uh, and remember when the new city hall was designed, the forecourt put in place to allow a, a place to gather. It's where the Hamilton sign is. We've done broadcasts down there. It's been great. Uh, but also has turned into a uh, sort of ground zero for hate and protests that uh, are going on. And, uh, and you have to wonder why we're having more of a problem uh, with this than other parts of the country. The city will be hiring a consultant to weigh in on the proposed hate mitigation policies and to help with community consultation. To talk more about all of this, and again, everyone's on holidays. Brad Clark was on this morning with Bill Kelly. Uh, the mayor's uh, away from what I understand, and the police chief as well. Uh, let's bring in mayor, uh, former mayor of the city of Hamilton, Larry Deany, and I know he's going to give me hell for even saying that. Larry, how are you today? <laughs> it's not that really it's not that you're our fill-in substitute guy when we can't get hold of the mayor. It's not I that know. at all. I know nobody's available. Call Deany. No, 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 no. I don't want you to think that, Larry. <laughs> anyway, you know what it's like in the summertime. Listen, I was watching Jimmy Kimmel last night, and he is having such a ball. And you're right. I didn't know that there was a town in Newfoundland by yeah. that name either. But uh, but it's uh, it's it's uh, it was just a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, we'll be talking to them uh, coming up uh, at two thirty-five, uh, yeah. and we're going to be speaking with the co-owner of In by the Bay Dildo. There you go. <laughs> where, where do you go with that? All right, uh, let's change gears and, and uh, probably grind a few as we make a transition from that to this. Uh, we've talked at length, uh, you and I, about the situation at, at City Hall and, and what has happened in the past and such. Uh, it seemed that uh, things more or less came to a head as far as the discussion ab- about what has been happening this past week when uh, a lot of peace and love people showed up and out- outweighed the, uh, the hate people. Is this what, is this what it's going to take, Larry, to-, to solve this problem? Is that people taking time out of their busy weekends to come down to City Hall and, uh, and combat the hate protesters? Well, that's sure. Actually, it's been that way all along. I think the uh, the uh, hateful, you know, crowd has been uh, always far less in number than than the uh, more tolerant, supportive types. Um, and uh, and apparently was so this this past Saturday. I I, I wish I could have gone to see it myself because I was interested in a supporting the cause. Uh, but also seeing for myself, because you get a little bit of a distorted view, I think, on social media and yeah. maybe in in the press as to as to the numbers. Um, but we had 30 people at my house, and when I told my wife that Saturday after evening that I was going to go to a rally at City Hall, I got the I got the hate stare. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So I dared not move. However. My my thoughts certainly uh, were with uh, the um, the uh, the good crowd. Let me put it that way. 
and and hoped that things uh, would go well. And generally speaking, they they seem to, in that they overwhelmed in terms of numbers the uh, the other folks. And uh, other than that bus incident that I read about, uh, nothing much happened, which which was all well and good. Um, now the city talking about hiring a consultant to hate to help with hate policy. Um, uh, yeah. What, uh, where does is is this is this lip service? I mean, again, is this not a law enforcement issue? Is this not a security issue? Yeah. Well, and of course, I I'm not privy to the internal communications and and dialogues that they've been having at City Hall, but just looking at the outside in, uh, you can't throw money at this. Um, uh, but enough enough money uh, probably has been spent. Um, uh, and and who knows how much it costs uh, to have police presence every Saturday. Uh, probably some of that is, is overtime. It would be interesting to see uh, what those numbers look like. And I'm not suggesting that, that security um, should be driven by cost. Uh, you know, if, if to keep things safe, you want to spend the money, that's well and good. But if, if nothing much um, uh, good comes out of that, uh, then, then it's throwing good money after bad. And so in terms of what the city is looking at doing, um, hiring a, uh, um, I guess, a PR firm on the one hand, and one of the councillors made mention to the fact that, you know, we want to hire a public relations firm to kind of uh, gloss things over. That, that doesn't seem to me to be addressing the heart of the issue, um, which is about relationships. Uh, and also being realistic in terms of what um, a municipal government can do and should be doing in a public space um, where, where uh, you know, diverse opinions uh, in a peaceful way can be aired, even if we disagree with those public opinions uh, that are aired. We should not go down that rabbit hole in terms of becoming you know, a thought police, um, unless people cross the line into criminal behavior, uh, we are big enough as a democracy, I think, to withstand even ugly things being said. Um, um, again, as long as people are not threatened, uh, made feel uh, to feel unsafe, and, uh, and uh, hate crime, uh, or uh, even in terms of, you know, the, the, the speech uh, um, borders on on hate crime, then that should be shut down. Uh, but because somebody has a different perspective on whether it's immigration or which political party to support or which prime minister to vote or not vote for uh, is not cause enough to, uh, you know, to clear a public space. Uh, and so a public relations firm uh, isn't going to influence that in a pos- positive way, I don't think. In terms of the security, well, so there was a letter in a paper this morning that talked about not much happening. I don't know who the person who wrote that letter was, but he talked about 50 people, mostly on one side, with a few on the other side. Um, uh, and so not much was happening, according to this person. Uh, even the advocates say that at the most there were maybe 100 people there. So it doesn't seem uh, to necessarily, and this was, and by the way, this was a rally that was pre-planned, advertised heavily on social media, and it got a lot of attention and not a lot of take-up. And so other weeks probably will see a diminished uh, turnout as well. So do you want to have a security uh, detail there 
uh, if if not much is happening. You have to wonder about whether that's that's good or not. On the other hand, you know, the police are equipped with intelligence, and they should be using that intelligence and deploy appropriate numbers to do the right thing if indeed there is any sense that something untoward is going to happen. And and so there, there's a fine line that needs to be walked there. But for the city to, certain, to simply say, let's hire somebody to be there permanently, uh, even, uh, you know, a part-time person to be there on a permanent basis, security kind of uh, a format, um, when the counselor who made that statement indicated that, uh, you know, incidents of, of bad behavior occur not just at the City Hall forecourt, but all over the city, and how can you police that? Seems to me that that is a knee-jerk reaction that may not uh, that may not stand the smell of uh, of, uh, of you know doing the right thing. Are there not laws in place to handle this, or are they that gray? Well, so I mean, I was surprised, for example, speaking of laws, uh, to to read that a um, a, a bus drove onto the sidewalk and. Uh, um, that didn't meet with an immediate sort of ticket, at least, uh, contravention of some sort of parking law. I don't think any of us can park on sidewalks no. uh, with impunity, so I'm surprised that that wasn't done. On the other hand, uh, I also read that people, you know, were upset that it took 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes to get that bus driver to leave. And what did they want the police to do? I mean, surely, to goodness, they didn't want them you know, to, to, to shoot the guy, uh, they talked him into leaving, and that's good enough. They should probably have, have also issued uh, some sort of contravention mm. of some kind of a bylaw as well, and maybe that was done and we just don't know about it. But a peaceful resolution to incidents like that is better than a violent one. Uh, you know, I thought the same thing, and again, was on holidays, was not down there. But again, you see uh, pictures of a bus parked up on a curb at City Hall. If you and I did that, I'm sure we'd be, we'd be instructed pretty quickly to remove it. And if not, <laughs> there'd be a price and, There'd be a price to pay. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and certainly, um, uh, a, a summons, a ticket of some sort, uh, would be the minimum, I would think. And then if the person refuses a police order, I guess that escalates the situation. So it'd be interesting to find out why the police did what they did. However, my basic point still remains that I would sooner see the police talk someone into doing the right thing than take, you know, um, some sort of violent action, uh, which would be inappropriate, out of proportion, and they'd be criticized for uh, also, I noticed the uh, the bus didn't have a front license plate. Now, whether it was from Ottawa Province or not, I'm not sure. From Alberta, but, apparently. Yeah. I think, I think it was sent by the Premier of Alberta, uh, if I got that right. Say that I'm again? Kidding. Oh, I'm yeah, kidding. I was going to say, Larry, holy <laughs> smokes, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just kidding. Um, so... Uh, uh, again, is is this a situation where more of the other side has to go down and surround these people and say, you're not welcome? Or is that just drawing more attention to all of this? What if one side just stays home? Will the city forecourt be dominated by the other or will it so, peter out? So I, I think I think both sides and there are two sides. Um, certainly are, are vying for public attention. People will argue, Larry, there aren't two sides. There's one filled with hate and there's one that isn't. 
You well, know, at one, yes, at one time, at one time, this was the you know the LGBT community against the yellow vests, and and now it's expanded beyond that. I'm not sure if others have hijacked uh, the cause on the way there. Uh, you know, but again, many would say that you know it's uh, it's like si- saying that you you could be on the side of hate. So. So, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Larry. No, no, I, I, and I appreciate that. And I just want to make my position very clear. I'm on the side of the angels here. I'm on the side of those who don't want hate in the city of Hamilton. And, and by the way, that should be everybody. I mean, who wants to see hate in the city of Hamilton? Yeah. All of us should do what is possible and, and what is necessary under the circumstances to make sure that we're a uh, tolerant, uh, accepting, uh, peaceful, peace-loving, and uh, and uh, um, uh, welcoming community that welcomes the diversity that we see on the street every day, whether it be racial diversity, religious diversity, um, uh, sexual uh, orientation diversity, uh, I mean, the whole gamut. And those who want to divide and castigate and judge and criticize and condemn to hell people who are different from them, whether they are immigrants or whether they are a marginalized, smaller community, such as the LGBTQ plus community. Those are the people that I do not agree with, and most Hamiltonians, I would say, do not agree with at all. And, and, and so uh, that, that's the dynamic of the two sides that I mean. One is on the side of the angels, one really is on the side of those, and I don't want to, you know, be hyperbolic here, but those who espouse, uh, if not hatred, certainly intolerance and some evil as well. So, so there are these two sides, and both are vying for public attention. Both want their causes to be embraced by the larger public. Those who are with the angels would like everybody in the city of Hamilton to say, you know what? Be who you are, be proud of who you are, be able to enjoy the amenities that we've got in this community whenever you want, and it should not come with any kind of harassment. The other side, those who have a political message against immigrants, pro, you know, uh, the People's Party or, or the Conservative Party, whoever they believe carries their water in terms of policies, uh, they are, I think, uh, you know, the fringe elements of political movements and, and consequently may not be embraced by all of society, but they're trying to get their message across. Unfortunately, their message comes with, with, with a whole baggage of hateful thoughts as well, whether it's the religious bigots or whether it's the intolerance against immigrants. Those are scary thoughts because they can cross the line into actions that we do not want to see in our community. And so those two sides are present. As long as people simply voice opinions that don't cross any line, I think we're brave enough to sift through those opinions and, uh, and, and take it and, and become stronger as individuals who might be tolerant. But on the other hand, if you're part of a marginalized community, such as the LGBTQ community who has a history of being picked on uh, even by law enforcement over the years. And I think that has changed much for the better. Mm. If not perfect, it certainly has ameliorated over the last uh, many decades. Uh, then you feel, you feel 
alone. You feel not supported. And that's why they're out there wanting the greater community to rally around them. I think those points are valid, but when you cross, when you also cross the line, uh, if you're part of that into some, and I've seen, you know, some very dismissive comments on social media of, of people who've tried to be allies, uh, very dismissive comments of individuals uh, who have encouraged discussion mm. and debate, uh, then, you know, that is inappropriate as well. And, and although you're on the side of the angel, sometimes you can do things that may not be totally supportive of your cause either. Larry deani has been with us, former mayor, city of Hamilton. Larry, as always, thanks for the insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The protests in Hong Kong continue, uh, and these have gone on, I'm, I think, for about 10 weeks now. Um, and continue, but Chinese outlets are warning, media outlets are warning that the protesters are asking for self-destruction. That's a quote. Uh, this all started uh, way back when, when uh, it was announced that, uh, uh, and they did this, I guess, under the guise of, of fighting crime. Uh, in Hong Kong, if you were charged or, or arrested for something, you could then, instead of uh, being processed through the Hong Kong judiciary system, which is based in democracy and, and British law and such, uh, you'd be shipped back to the mainland and go through the judicial process uh, that the Communist Party of China sees fit. Uh, that is what that is what has started all of these protests in Hong Kong. That uh, proposal has since been shelved, not withdrawn completely, not eliminated, but uh, postponed. That being said, the protests continue. Let's bring in Donald Baker, Department of Asian Studies, University of British Columbia. He is with us now. Donald, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good to talk with you, Scott. Uh, Donald, is it just a matter of time before Hong Kong is like the rest of China? Well, in terms of decades, yes, because Hong Kong's uh, being treated as a special zone runs out in uh, 47, 2047. But it may come sooner than that. Um, it's it, the longer these demonstrations go on in Hong Kong, the more Xi Jinping feels the need to assert his authority by crushing them. He's got he's trying to find a way to crush them without antagonizing the rest of the world. I'm not sure if he can do that. Many thought way back when, uh, in 97, when the, when China was handed back over control of Hong Kong, many thought that it would be China that may reform after seeing how successful Hong Kong was and that perhaps we'd see the rest of China uh, turn into Hong Kong as opposed to the opposite. Is It certainly looks as if, if now that, that the opposite is happening and that China is encroaching on Hong Kong. Um, is there any way that before 2047 uh, arrives that this could change direction? Yeah, I think, it, I think we're going to see, well, depends on how the, how the demonstrations continue, but I think we're going to see probably a strong intervention from police forces, not army from China itself. There's, there's some riot police training right across the border. How the people of Hong Kong will react to that, I don't know. But it's pretty clear that um, Xi Jinping doesn't like uh, the freedom of speech, freedom of press, and so on that we see in Hong Kong. He's been cracking down all over China. He's the most authoritarian ruler they've had since Mao. And Hong Kong kind of is a sharp contrast to what he's doing in China proper. So he would like to put a stop to it. He wants to do it in a way that doesn't ruin Hong Kong as an engine of economic um, benefit for China. 
he doesn't want to do it to give him a real black eye around the world. So he's trying to find a way to end these demonstrations, end these challenges basically to his rule, uh, without antagonizing, first of all, the entire population of Hong Kong, and secondly, the rest of the world. Uh, is that even possible? I mean, is it possible to uh, to keep Hong Kong like a puppet, pretending that it's uh, a different kind of animal than the Communist Party of China, and yet ruling it under that sort of authoritarian regime? It's difficult, but he wants to, one thing that's holding him back from really crushing Hong Kong is he wants to say to Taiwan, "Look, Taiwan, you can come back to the mother country, and we'll treat you, you know, nice." But if he cracks down on Hong Kong, Taiwan's going to be even more determined to maintain their independence. But here's the big problem that Xi Jinping and the whole Chinese Communist Party apparatus faces in Hong Kong. There is no one leader to these protests. It's disorganized. There's yeah. nobody they can negotiate with. That's the problem. Most of the demonstrators are nonviolent, but there are a few people who started turning violent. And you can't negotiate with them. There's no. It's not an organized group. There's no central figure. Uh, that and and it shows you how organic this protest is. That being said, uh, we're seeing them detain people. Uh, it appears by the hundreds. Uh, it, can they do that? I mean, can you just keep arresting your way out of this? They seem to be so far succeeding. Uh, and doing, they've got about 800 people they've arrested so far, and one young leader was sentenced to six years in jail that claimed that he was calling for Hong Kong independence. Uh, I think a real turning point may have come in the last couple of hours when the demonstrators in the airport found somebody they thought was an undercover policeman from the mainland, and they began beating him, and actually he went unconscious. And it took a while for paramedics to get in there and rescue him. And, of course, there are camera crews all around, so now people in Hong Kong and in China are going to see this on TV. And it's going to, first of all, hurt the image of the protesters. And secondly, it's going to create more pressure on Xi Jinping to do something before this violence escalates. Uh, and many have commented on how the direction of China has hardened, has changed under this new president. Um, and, and as they've started to uh, dominate economically, uh, do you think there's a chance that China may rethink this and, you know, on their way to world domination, uh, realize that they're ticking off the rest of the world and that the opportunity that they have, they're squandering here by, you know, with the tough love, so to speak? I don't know. I mean, Xi Jinping is pretty hard line. He's gotten away with, you know, putting over a million uh, Chinese Uyghurs, Muslims, uh, in concentration camps, and even getting some Muslim nations around the world to support him in doing that. I don't know how he did that, but he did. Uh, so he's pretty emboldened. And also just today, Donald Trump announced that he's postponing the next round of tariffs on Chinese goods until December. They're supposed to go into effect September 1st. So he doesn't see the rest of the world really reacting poorly to him because of what's happening in Hong Kong. He seems to be making progress getting Donald Trump to roll back the tariffs, getting the Muslim, some Muslim nations to support what he's doing with the Uyghurs. So he feels like he can do what he wants to do, it seems to me. He's trying to be careful. Though. He doesn't want to send the army into Hong Kong. If he sends mainland forces in, it will be police rather than the army. And we saw just a couple of hours ago the, uh, the, the Hong Kong police who were at the airport confronting the protesters retreated. And so um, we, they we seem to be trying to cool this off a little bit. We saw a poll that came out here uh earlier on in the week that said the perception of of China is changing for Canadians. Um, and obviously, as, as that gains momentum around the world, I would presume, um, with China being on the verge of world dominance, do they need to do this? Do they need to play like this? 
No, they don't. <laughs> that's that's a sad thing. Like, are they are they blowing an opportunity here? I guess is what I'm saying because eventually the rest of the world is going to react. I agree. I think first of all, both politically and economically, it's better for them to allow Hong Kong to enjoy uh, freedom. It, it makes business people more comfortable investing there, right? And it it that's it, it, a good face of China to the outside world if Hong Kong people are able to enjoy enjoy a degree of democracy. But Xi Jinping's also got to uh, balance off his domestic concerns, domestic politics. I mean, he's a dictator, but he still has to satisfy the other leading figures in the Chinese Communist Party. And he can't seem to be letting Hong Kong go its own way. But on the other hand, Donald, doesn't the success that Hong Kong and China, isn't the, doesn't the success that they've achieved in the last few years, does that not prove that good relation works better than bad? One would hope so, but I'm not sure, again, that Xi Jinping is right. Yeah. away right now. I mean, he, he doesn't seem to really care. He knows the world can see the concentration camps for the Uyghurs. You can see them in satellite imagery. He mm-hmm. doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, many have talked about Donald Trump's reaction to what is going on in Hong Kong, and by that, uh, and you mentioned this, alluded this to this earlier, that world reaction doesn't seem to be caring too much at this point, so they're continuing on. How do you explain Donald Trump's reaction or lack of reaction to this? It's really hard to explain anything Donald Trump does because yeah. he changed on a dime, right? It on what he last saw on Fox News. Uh, but basically, I mean, Donald Trump doesn't care about human rights. Um, if he had some investment in Hong Kong, I don't know if there's a Trump hotel there or not. <laughs> mm. If there's a Trump hotel in Hong Kong, then obviously he'd be more concerned about what's happening in Hong Kong. If he has no investments there, I don't think he really cares. He doesn't care for democracy. That's quite clear. It's so this for the dictator. So right? this for him, he's not going to weigh in on anything that's going to try to damage the trade deal he's trying to do. I don't. I don't think he will. The trade deal is more important for him than what happens to Hong Kong. Many have. Uh, I read one report today that talked about JFK visiting uh, Germany way back when, and the Berlin Wall, and all of that, and the world standing uh, side by side. Uh, you know, with the allies on this. Are we lacking that here? Does the rest of the world need to speak up against this? Yes, they do. But Donald Trump's not the person to do it. I mean, he won't do it. And secondly, he's not respected. Justin Trudeau could speak out, but again, Canada's a smaller country. We need the European Union to speak out. That would help. Um, but again, I don't know if Xi Jinping will listen right now. He probably remembers that they got away with Tiananmen, right? The world was yeah. appalled at what happened in Tiananmen. And um, Is that where we're going again, Donald? Are we going to see a repeat of that? Because it looks like that's where we're heading. I hope not, because Tiananmen was actually military forces. And so I don't see Chinese army shooting people in the streets of Hong Kong like they did in Beijing back then. Uh, I mean, I may be wrong. <laughs> I didn't expect um, the, the protesters to take over the airport on the second day yeah. like they just did. Uh, hopefully, he's, Xi Jinping is a little more level-headed than that. But basically, the protesters are kind of sticking a finger in his eye, saying, you can't do anything to us, we're Hong Kong. Um, I'm going to be curious to see, when classes start up again here at UBC in the fall, uh, if Hong Kong students start putting up um, posters supporting the Hong Kong demonstrations, how the students from mainland China will react. We've seen some uh, fights, actually, on campuses in Australia and even in the U.S., a couple of campuses. Because they're students from both the mainland and Hong Kong. Right, exactly. And we, we have a lot of those at UBC, <laughs> from both places. So we'll see what happens in, in September. How ironic is it that students from China would feel that way about Hong Kong while studying in a place as free as Canada? It's their nationalism. Yeah. They say Hong Kong is, um, you know, is Chinese, and so the Chinese students who want Hong Kong to be treated differently 
are, they say, are ignoring the fact that Hong Kong is part of China. Yeah. Um, same thing about, you know, talk about Taiwan. Uh, I have students. Some Chinese but it just students. seems odd that students who are so behind a communist regime and the takeover of Hong Kong, how they justify studying at UBC in a country that, that's, that's free. Well, I mean, some of them come to love democracy, but a lot of them are just here to um, get an education and I'll get them a good job back in China. Mm. That's what it's all about. Uh, they, they don't want to be involved with politics. They don't be, want to be involved in demonstrations that the Chinese government doesn't approve of. And so uh, I, I don't see many of my students uh, be really being influenced by the democratic atmosphere they enjoy here in Canada. Hmm. Some are. Some, is, it in, is it in China's best interest to have students studying in other parts of the world where there's, where there's a democracy? Uh, what if those students come home with democratic feelings? Right, and the long-term effect may be, may be unfortunate for China, but they need the good education they can get in, in Canada and the U.S., and especially education in say, engineering and medicine and uh, business. And so, again, Xi Jinping has to kind of balance what he wants. Does he want an, an educated population that can deal uh, with the rest of the world as equals um, at the risk of eventually having people press for democracy? Or does he want to take a chance on maintaining his authoritarian rule longer and therefore hinder China's attempt to become a more modern and open country. You can keep things closed for so long, but as soon as you open borders and let people study in other parts of the world, as you said, is that just not a matter of time before this softens? I, I think it is, but I may be more wishful thinking. I mean, I, yeah. I've seen, I spent a lot of my, my life in South Korea, and I've seen them go from dictatorship to democracy, partly because they were, you know, a lot of Koreans had gone to Canada and the U.S. to study and come back with these ideas about democracy. Um, so I, it, 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 hopefully it's a matter of time, but in, in the short term, I'm really worried what will happen in Hong Kong in the short term. I think that there's a very good chance that those riot police training right across the border are going to come onto the streets of Hong Kong within the next few days. So you said they're not going to put the army in there, but they're going to train riot police uh, to do the job that the military would have done, say, in a Tiananmen Square situation. Uh, how long will the local police fall in line like this, especially when such a, a, a significant portion of the population is rioting? That's usually when things turn. That's a very good question, yeah. And, and there's already, there are already calls, even by more conservative elements in Hong Kong elite, to investigate police behavior, especially after a young woman was hit in the eye and she probably lost her right eye yeah. last weekend. So we'll see what happens there. I don't see the police turning uh, uh, siding with the demonstrators, but it's very possible if mainland police come in, then the Hong Kong police will just step aside and watch on the sidelines. What difference does it make if they bring in mainland police or mainland military? I mean, if it's not local, I mean, does it still not send the same message? That shows that China is determined to make Hong Kong more a real part of China if they bring in these mainland police or military. That's very clear. And Hong Kong people want to maintain not political independence, but their cultural and, um, you know, the, they, they want to live a Hong Kong lifestyle. They don't want to live like people in China. They want to have their own way. Well, and you can see why. I mean, oh, yeah, it's definitely. pretty obvious. Uh, 300,000 Canadians living there. Uh, and, and I'm sure it must be the same from other countries as well. Is it only a matter of time before we all speak up and say, this can't happen? I think we, it is a matter of time before we do that, but I'm not sure what effect that will have. I mean, China will do what China wants to do. Uh, so without without Donald Trump behind this, it's, it's nowhere. Yeah, Donald Trump is wor is worthless in this. So, um, yeah, I think the, the 
best chance will be if some of the demonstrators realize that um, beating that man into unconsciousness a couple of hours ago was going too far, and they thought of back off and return to the primarily peaceful demonstrations they had for 10 weeks. And maybe that will also give China a chance to back off a bit, and then things can quiet down. That's a, I think it's our best hope. I think if, if the, the demonstrations continue to get more violent, then I don't see a good, a good coming out of this. The days, continually to tick, the days continually tick away to 2047. I mean, how can this be any more positive tomorrow, next week, next month? That's true, and they're getting closer and closer to became totally absorbed in China. And that's what the young people realize. It's mostly the young people out there demonstrating, right? They're the ones who will still be alive in 2047. It's a problem. Um, you know, I wish I was a miracle worker who could go over there and say, hey, people, yeah. talk instead of fight. But I don't see that happening. Especially since, again, there's nobody among the demonstrators you can really talk to. It's not a, there's no central figure that can lead them and can negotiate with the mainland authorities. Could there be something or an incident that happens, um, you know, maybe as in the past where the world does respond? Or is there nothing the rest can do? How does the world respond? We respond with words usually. Yeah. Right? That doesn't challenge us. Okay, there's your words. We'll, we'll wait a few months and you'll calm down. That's what they say. And usually they're right. Hmm. Donald Baker has been with us, Department of Asian Studies, University of British Columbia. Protests in Hong Kong continue. Uh, Chinese outlets warning that the protesters are asking for self-destruction. What are your thought? What are your thoughts, Don? Before we let you go, what are your thoughts on that quote? Asking for self-destruction. That is scary. That is scary. That, that is implying a very strong um, response from the Chinese government, either police or even possibly the army. And that, that, that really does scare me. Donald Baker, Department of Asian Studies, UBC. Donald, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good talking with you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking more about mental illness and trying hard to uh, alleviate the stigma surrounding it and, and, and trying to poke deeper into people's minds and, and what makes them tick and what makes them happy, what makes them sad. Researchers are working on developing a pill to combat loneliness. Apparently, we're more lonely nowadays. But is it necessary? Uh, Is it a better way to disconnect, to combat loneliness, or engage with others face-to-face? What are the strategies we can use to combat loneliness? Uh, Volunteers, University of Chicago, Brain Dynamics uh, Laboratory, uh, tested all these kids. Otherwise, young and healthy, everybody's fine. But then off-the-chart scores when it comes to measuring loneliness is a common denominator for them. A recent Angus Reid Institute survey found that nearly half of Canadians sometimes or often feel alone. In the United States, the number of Americans who feel they have no one whom they can speak with has tripled since 1985. To talk more about all of this, Dr. Caddy Kamkar is with us, psychologist with CAMH, and on the line now. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate this. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, can a pill help loneliness? You know, um, I'm so glad that uh, we are discussing this uh, this important issue. The important issue being loneliness. Um, uh, no, my view is that uh, a pill is not going to uh, solve the matter. And I think what's fundamentally very important is for us to have a better understanding and appreciation of the multifaceted um, 
experiences and sources of loneliness and how we do need to take an individualized uh, case conceptualization approach for intervention. Um, as you have also, you know, very well mentioned, uh, loneliness can come from a variety of sources. So sometimes there is no indication of unnecessarily pain or suffering or illness, and it's just that, you know, we feel lonely because of, you know, environmental changes, changes of our routine. You give the amazing example of, let's say, your son for the school, happy to go back to school, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so exactly, right? So here is, is it, it shows... Um, the He's looking for the engagement. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's looking for the engagement. Clearly, there was a disruptive structure, the routine. You want to regain back to, you know, your bodies, your peers, your, your you know, your social milieu and so on, right? So, mm. and of course, when we don't have that, sometimes we can refer this to as social loneliness, right? And sometimes it could be that, let's say, we can have a lot of friends and close family, but you know what? It could be that we are very, you know, everyone is very busy suddenly, and it could be that the next two weeks on the weekends, we really feel lonely because everyone is so busy. Mm. We can nevertheless, you know, keep ourselves busy by engaging in other activities and setting a healthy balance between also accepting to set meaningful time by ourselves and then of course engaging in social activities. Now we also need to understand that there are certain actually very common uh, psychological disorders where one of the key feature, resulting feature, feature, or concurrent feature can be loneliness. Right. For example, if we suffer from clinical depression, mm-hmm. um, it can also lead to loneliness or loneliness if, let's say, we feel lonely because there is low energy, there is uh, anxiety going outside, there is the immense struggle and suffering, co- having conversations with others, or maybe we might be dealing maybe with physical health issues that make it very difficult for us to engage in social settings or engage in social networks and so on. So all of those key features might make it very difficult for us to be in social settings or even interact. And yes, can lead to loneliness. And then it could lead to a disruption in our functioning daily activities. We feel demoralized. And yes, there could be increasing our vulnerability to, let's say, uh, clinical depression or anxiety or other host of mental health problems. So are more of us now just leaning towards being clinically depressed? I mean, is it more a psychological disor- uh, disorder? In other words, is loneliness real or is this self-inflicted? Um, so it, that's why it's, it's, um, it's very different for everyone. So sometimes it could be um, it is related or resulting or concurrent with a psychological disorder. Sometimes it is not at all related to any mental health problem. It's just the environmental milieu that is creating that. Um, the other factor is also at times when we struggle with um, negative health views of ourselves. Um, and there is a sense of insecurity. There is a negative self-talk going on. Those, those type of negative beliefs about ourselves can also create very um, intense um, emotional distress. And it may make it very difficult for us. They speak about this in the column that, you know, negative views are worried that if you get too close to somebody, they'll take advantage of you. Uh, it's, it's sort of that self-defense uh, mechanism. Is that something that should be addressed with a pill or is that something that should be addressed with counseling? 
Um, you know, evidence-based, um, there are evidence-based psychological treatment, especially evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy, where first of all, we do an assessment, clinical assessment of having a better understanding of really what are the person's concerns and needs and symptoms and functioning to make sure that we arrive at a diagnosis. Sometimes there's no diagnosis, but necessarily there are genuine concerns and suffering going on. And exactly as you mentioned here, then it's for treatment planning and within evidence-based uh, cognitive behavior treatment, the bulk of it is cognitive restructuring where we look at a person's, um, helping a person's identify any kind of distressing negative thoughts, um, related negative emotions. We have to put the thoughts into perspective. We have to take a balanced approach. Certainly, we also um, uh, learn to engage in healthy view of ourselves. And all of those then in turn also shape our emotions and definitely then we are better able to make decisions um, and engage in healthy, proactive coping strategies. How bad is this? They, uh, th- this article uh, says that, it, especially specific, uh, uh, being specific to Americans, that um, the, the rates have tripled since 1985. Is this a new problem? Um, what rates have tripled? You mean that in terms their loneliness, of their loneliness? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that here I would want to look at, you know, it's same thing again. We are talking about what do they mean by loneliness? What, really, what do they mean by loneliness? And and when they said it has tripled, what have they surveyed? What would people ask for? Because again, people might. In the U.S., uh, the number of Americans who feel that they have no one with whom they can speak to has tripled since 1985. The, yeah. So, how does that happen? So it could be, again, um, uh, you know, variety of variety of factors. We do know that people have increasingly um, difficulty engaging in work-life balance. So so many roles and so many responsibilities. Yeah. So sometimes it makes it very difficult to even, you know, engage in healthy and meaningful conversations and setting even time for that. But and also even when we have the time, we also know that everyone is very busy. So it makes it also very difficult as well. So variety of those stresses as well. Certainly we also know know that in terms of um, stresses in regards to, let's say, relationships or finances and work, um, along with also we do know um, rates of psychological health problems have also increased. So variety of um, reasons as to why people, you know, might say that, yes, they're feeling more lonely, but it could come again from different sources, and in turn, those different sources impacts every single person differently. Mm. Uh, this article goes on to say that this condition is worse than obesity. Obesity. Can you make that comparison? Um, uh, you know, I mean, certainly for any comparisons, we really need, you know, more research and so on. So this is not necessarily something that I even want to uh, to comment on, especially when um, we do need to, you know, have proper measures in terms of, once again, as I mentioned, how do they define loneliness? How is it measured? What are we comparing it? And then, of course, then if it's something with compared with obesity, so you want to know about what research has been done to even making sure that the comparison is, is actually a, a a comparison. Right. Certainly, we know, as I mentioned, um, that loneliness, depending on the sources and so on, if it leads to pain and suffering, of course, it's definitely something that um, uh, it needs to be um, uh, d- dealt with. And as we always say, it's very important for, for, for no one should suffer in silence. And when we know that we struggle with anything, to not only to seek quality social support with family and friends, but and also professional help as well, and effective treatment is available. Is this a personal issue, doctor, or is this a societal issue? How has society contributed to this? 
Well, you know, when we look at, for example, um, you know, I mean, traffic, long commute, um, living expenses, um, job insecurity, financial concerns, um, we need two income per household, um, relationship strains, financial strains, technology, um, cost of real estate, um, tuition, Mm. um, you know. The stress of everyday life. The stress of everyday life, exactly. You know, you summarized it very well. The stress of everyday life. So here it's, it's, you know, it's it's the the work-life balance, you know, that you balance that I just mentioned as well, right? So it's all of those. Can we blame technology? It always seems that that's the easy scapegoat. Uh, You know, too many people are looking down instead of looking up. (laughs) Well, certainly this is something we always need to factor in. And again, you know, we always need to engage in more research in regards to that. And yes, research has found that technology in terms of, you you described it very well, we we look too much down as opposed to looking up, is actually a significant contributing factor as well. But I think that for anything that we need to have a better appreciation, it's always such a multifaceted approach. So certainly um, if, let's say, we use technology in a way that it's not functional and productive anymore, because people you can use it to make it fun and productive and, and functioning, so functional. So that's great. But if we use it to the point that, let's say, it cuts on our other responsibilities or going out or even physical activities, which is also very healthy and mind-body connection that we want to keep in mind, then we know anything that we do at the end of the continuum is no longer healthy. If not a psychological issue, in other words, if you don't have a reason or depression or clinical depression or any reason to be this way, does it start by just simply isolating ourselves? Are we isolating ourselves? Is that how this is started? You know, I like your question because I think it really refers to the importance of when we call prevention. And prevention really works. Pre- prevention continuum of care really works on the continuum. We have primary prevention where it's prior to an onset of an illness. So here we want to focus on education, on resiliency, reducing risk factors, and really um, building our protective factors. So here it's very important that, yes, if we're not suffering, but then we know that, you know what, this is an area that is not working for me, then to engage in very healthy, adaptive, proactive approach. Tertiary prevention, there is an onset of an illness, so of course, um, as we always know, self-care, professional help, and peer support, um, again, continuum of resiliency. Tertiary prevention here, ma- the symptoms tend to be moderate to severe, clearly impairing our everyday functioning. There's tremendous amount of pain and suffering. So here, um, of course, professional help, in addition to everything else that we just discussed, would right. be very much needed. But what you're referring to is really would tap into this primary prevention that, yes, we always want to engage in. You know, self-care, which is a balance between time for myself, and I also want to enjoy my alone, enjoy my alone activities, but and I also want to have meaningful relationships as well, key quality social support, in addition to proper sleep, physical exercise, eating healthy, and also learning to balance our thoughts, putting thoughts into perspective, balance outlook, um, what are my positives, my strengths, showing gratitude, you know, all those things that really we need to practice every single day. Hmm. Boy, it seems that we've lost all of that. How? I mean, it's like any other muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. But it seems that this is part of our being, part of our personality. Our species loves to interact, but now it seems in some cases we don't. Uh, You know, when we talk about loneliness, uh, and and again, uh, over and above anyone who may have some sort of of clinical issue, uh, when we talk about loneliness, is it as simple as, well, get out and see somebody, engage, this is what you're needing? 
Is it that simple? Um, sometimes yes and sometimes no. So that's why it's we really need to make sure that for every person is very different. So we always want to listen to the person. We want to show empathy and very much the the, the appreciation for the multifaceted um, experiences and sources of loneliness. Do we live in a world now where it's all about the individual and less about helping everybody else? You know, that will be very difficult and also because we are living in a world where we are not alone. So if we live in a world where we're not alone and we are social human beings, we are social beings and we all depend on one another, then it will be very difficult um, to do this. And especially that everything is dyadic and is interactional, it is a um, uh, togetherness and connectedness involved. So it's really around how can we set an individualized and balanced approach around, yes, what are individual needs and individual rights and emotions and thoughts, and at the same time, um, what are some of the you know emotional social boundaries that we can establish, and at the same time, how we also can um, approach other people's rights and needs and and uh, concerns. So it's always around um, this this balance. And also, we do know that part of um, health, when we give to others, there is, a tr- is is tremendously associated with satisfaction and health. Whenever we are able to give uh, to others and and empathy and kindness and any kind of pro- social behaviors. Dr. Caddy Kamkar has been with us, psychologist with CAMH. Researchers are working on developing a pill for people to combat loneliness. Is that the answer? Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, have you been watching uh, Jimmy Kimmel of late? Uh, his uh, sidekick has landed in Dildo, Newfoundland. And looking forward to seeing the Balls, which is the family of the Premier, Premier Ball, officially inviting Jimmy Kimmel to visit the promise, a province, promising the comedian that he would fall in love with Newfoundland. Uh, I guess that uh, Jimmy uh, and his staff discovered this, uh, this town and have uh, been jumping on board and bringing them into the show. His loyal sidekick has arrived in the town of Dildo. With hopes of bolstering the late night host's chances of becoming mayor, apparently there isn't a mayor of Dildo because the um, I don't think this, the, the town's big enough for that. And to talk more about all of this, the co-owner of In by the Bay in Dildo, Karen Mills, is with us now. Karen, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, nice to be uh, live on your radio show. Uh, when did you first hear of all this? When did the town realize that they were the subject of of something on Jimmy Kimmel? Well, it's funny. I actually found out uh, by telephone call, but um, it certainly brought so much media attention to the um, the small sleepy town of Dildo that I can't quite remember when it all started. <laughs> so tell <laughs> us about so tell us about the town population. What's it like there? The population is around fifteen hundred people. Uh, it's a beautiful little sleepy town. I'm not a, a born and bred Dildorian. Um, I'm from New Zealand, but um, the Dildad people are very proud, obviously, of their name. Uh, it's a great little place to live. So uh, being a, uh, uh, an immigrant from New Zealand, how did you, why did you pick uh, Dildo, Newfoundland? Oh, my. I, I don't even know, but um, I'm glad I have now. Uh, it's uh, kind of 
put uh, dildo uh, right into the forefront through uh, Canada and uh, North America. So it's been uh, crazy busy out here, and uh, we're loving the extra fame. So if somebody has never been to Dildo before, what's it like? What's, what's the town like? Is it, it's, it's, it's a fishing town, I understand? It is. It's a small, it's a small town. Um, uh, but, you know, because of all the media attention now and uh, the new brand brewery that's out there, microbrewery, um, it has been becoming more popular. So it's one of these little places that is going to, I think, uh, personally turn into kind of a resort-style little town. Um, you drive into it, it's a, quite a large bay, it's the best fishing uh, area, uh, uh, one of the best fishing areas in Newfoundland, great scallop diving, great boat tours, we get whales in the bay all the time, uh, we get porpoise, dolphin, we get everything, it's uh, quite a treat. Wow, uh, and what is the closest major city? St. John's. It is, is it? Yes. So how has this show and this whole experience taken over the town? I understand that there's signs up everywhere. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're hoping that Jimmy becomes our uh, new mayor of Dildo. Well, I am, personally. Uh, (laughs) I think there's some kind of vote uh, on the go here, and I think it's around 52 yes for Jimmy, 48 no for Jimmy. Um, So we're basically just waiting for him to turn up himself. Wow, that's pretty close. Are some not happy with all of this attention? I don't know if it's not happy we, uh, because he hasn't been screeched in, which is an official um, yes. type thing for uh, people to become a Newfoundlander. I am proud uh, to say that I have been screeched in in my lifetime. That's great. That's great, <laughs> as have I many times. <laughs> um, so he would need to probably come visit the town and be screeched in and uh, just enjoy the scenery. We've got all his producers and um, his uh, people floating around the town now it's created quite the uh the scene out there there's hardly anywhere to park or anything so what so i'm guessing the inn by the bay must be doing pretty well in all of this we're doing great uh you know it's it's great exposure um yeah it's wonderful there's not a lot of places to stay in dildo uh so um it's helping all of us out it's great for the community and great for uh, everybody's back pocket i guess so is the fact that 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 uh, jimmy kimmel is kind of um, um kidding with the town tongue-in-cheek about the name of the town is that upsetting anybody or is everybody just pretty pretty easy with the joke well you know there, there may be some you know newfoundlanders that uh, have found the um the little jibs about dildo um Offensive, I guess. Um, but I think most Newfoundlanders are pretty good when it comes to, you know, the publicity. Any good publicity for tourism is great because, uh, uh. you know, basically we love the tourism here. Um, he, you know, in Jimmy's own words, he pretty much he took the, the dildo out of the top drawer of the nightstand and kind of brought it to the forefront. Yeah. So, <laughs> we don't look at it as in those terms. We see the name dildo coming from, you know, the little phallic part that's on a boat. <laughs> so what is so what is the origin of the name? Do we know what is the history of the name? What I've been told is it's on a boat. It's the little phallic part that hangs, uh, that kind of steers it or does the rudder part of the boat, right? Like I a think. rudder. Yeah, that's what I that's what I think it is. Well, that's good enough. That sounds good. Why not run with that? Yeah. So that's is right. that's what I'm doing. Is there a mayor of Dildo? Is there a, is there a town council at all? Or, or is, is, is Jimmy looking to create his own position here? <laughs> I think a bit of both. There is no mayor of Dildo. Um, there is a small council, but it's more of a recreational committee. So 
golfing. We had dildo days that go for a week. We don't have um, a lot of things set up. We don't do property taxes and stuff like that in dildo. There is nothing really set in stone out there. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows? This might change it all. So uh, what are dildo days, by the way? Dildo days is a week where we have a, a week-long um, schedule of events. So there might be, you know, day one, there might be pancake breakfasts and live bands in the evening. And it's just a celebration for the community. Um, and uh, your population grows, uh, of course, with the new brewery there. Um, so that's kind of what it is. It's just a celebration for a week. And we have fireworks and all those kinds of, you know, great events. And how far are you from St. John's? About uh, exactly from Dildo, or in by the bay, to downtown Kitty Vitty Lake is one hour. Okay. Yeah. So um, any chance, that, or do you, what do you think the chances are of Jimmy Kimmel coming out and visiting you guys? Very good from what I hear. Uh, he certainly has gone this far. I'm thinking just the clip of him getting screeched in would be good enough to bring them up there. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll, we've got some great people that do screech in there, so uh, uh, we're twisting his arm daily to get him up there. But I think you'll see him here very soon. Uh, maybe some people don't know what being screeched in is. Why, why, tell everybody who may not, not have been fortunate enough to visit Newfoundland yet <laughs> what it's all about. Oh, it's a um, it's a ceremony where you um, learn some special words uh, to to sing in a song, and you get a, gla- a small uh, nip of screech that you have to skull, mm-hmm. and you have to kiss the cod. Kiss the cod. That's the big thing, right kiss there. Kiss the cod. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, when do you think this is going to? How long do you think this is going to last? How long do you think he's he's it's going to be until he actually makes the official visit? Oh, you want me to take a guess? Yes. I'm guessing that uh, I'm going to take a guess at Stab in the Dark here, and let's just say I, we see him by the end of this week. Wow. Now, how has this, have a lot of people been calling you? Has a lot of media been concerned or curious about uh, this? How about the action yes. from outsiders? Oh, yes. We've got, uh, we've had NTV, CTV out here. Uh, we've got, like I said, Jimmy's pro- uh, production staff here. Um, you know, we've got a lot of his people here. So it's it's nonstop. It's been pretty crazy, like I said, from you know the sleepy little town to absolute um, uh, mayhem, chaos. <laughs> yeah, mayhem, <laughs> chaos. Uh, that's where we're at. So uh, we're all just trying to catch a breath. All right. So Karen and Karen Mills, by the way, co-owner of In by the Bay in Dildo. If people want to come to uh, to Dildo, what is the great attraction? Sell this town for us. You got about thirty seconds. Why is it so great? Oh, the people! Uh, you come to Dildo and Newfoundland because of the people yeah. and the passion to see it. It's a stunning, stunning area. Great fishing, great scallop diving, great coffee shops, great restaurants, great brewery. Um, it's just a great life. It's a great summer resort town. How long have you been there, Karen? This will be my fifth season with In by the Bay. Good for you. Are you planning on staying? Uh, well, let me tell you. Actually, the Inn by the Bay is up for sale. Uh-oh. So, well, we don't want to get... Hey, you know what? This might just drive the price through the roof right now. Boy, could this, this couldn't have come at a better time. It couldn't have. And, and just to say, it was not for sale because of that reason. It's for, for sale because I'm 
proceeding to do something different. So there you go. (laughs) Good for you, Kara. Well, this could work out quite well for you. Uh, Karen Mills has been with his co-owner of In by the Bay in Dildo. Jimmy Kimmel wants to be the mayor of the town of Dildo, Newfoundland, and for the last several shows has been featuring it. And uh, Karen thinks sooner or later he's going to show up uh, with camera crew in tow. Karen, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you so much for the time. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.